Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. Welcome to the final word, Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John, here to bring you news of an unbelievably tense final day's play in the Sydney Test. My colleagues Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon have been watching the denouement at the SCG and I've been watching it from behind a cushion in my living room in the UK. After three matches that have, let's be honest, failed to provide any of us with a climax, the fourth test brought us a classic of the old school, as Stuart Broad and James Anderson sought to survive two nerve-shredding final overs, with 11 Australians closing around them as hungrily as a bunch of wolves scenting Liam Neeson. What made it worse was that Jack Leach had seen England so close to home. For over an hour as the final session drew on, the number nine and his doughty technique had seen off Pat Cummins as the Australian captain marauded about with the new ball. With three overs left, the umpires had just told Cummins that he'd have to cool off his dogs if he wanted to keep playing, and Cummins had thrown the ball to Steve Smith. Leach had got through five balls of his part-time spin when an edge of the final delivery brushed past the wicketkeeper's glove on its way to David Warner's reflex catch at slip. Two overs left to survive, and England were down to their final man. It was the perfect closer to a day of ever-changing fortunes. England had begun the final morning with 10 wickets in hand and an entirely theoretical 358 runs still needed. Australia had Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Scott Boland and the repeat memory of running through this batting lineup like a hot machete through own brand margarine. They took their first wicket 40 minutes into the day. Alex Carey relieved to gather Hasib Hamid's edge after he dropped it a quarter of an hour earlier. And by lunch, England was three down, despite what felt like a hoodoo-breaking innings from Zach Crawley, who had reached an untroubled 77 when an excellent Yorker from Cameron Green ferreted beneath his bat and onto his pad. Ben Stokes had survived a tricky period before lunch, troubled by Green, toyed with by Lyon and dropped by Harris at short leg. But he came back out fighting, pulling Stark for six, cover-driving Green for four and then pulling Stark again for fun. Root nicked Scott Boland behind for 26, and with half a day still to survive, it was down to Stokes and Bairstow to replicate their first innings defiance. They had managed 16 overs when Stokes, on 60, rocked back and guided a turning ball from Lyon into Smith's grateful hands at slip. Stokes lifted his bat over his head as if he was about to bring it crashing down on some unfortunate bystander. But instead, he just held it there like Thor's hammer, his knees nearly giving way in self-reproach. With 26 overs remaining, it was the out-of-form Joss Butler who would now be exposed to the searing heat of the new ball. And it wasn't long before Cummins removed Butler and Mark Wood within the space of three deliveries, trapping both LBW with almost identical balls and nearly breaking Wood's foot in the process. 218 for seven and more than an hour of play remaining. Bairstow fought on, farming the strike for Leach, 
until Boland had him caught at bat pad and Leach became the senior batter, a role he took to seriously and well. It was Leach and Broad, then Broad and Anderson, and then, for six heart-stopping deliveries, it was Anderson and Smith, a standoff that surely deserves its own Matrix reboot. Anderson's final defensive shots may not have had quite Keanu's flair, but they were what was needed to save his team from an otherwise doomed situation. And here, they secured England's first crumb of comfort on this Ashes tour. Look at them. They're celebrating a draw. Over to Jeff and Adam in Sydney for the after-pickings. A test match that ends where everyone collectively joins hands and says, test cricket, isn't it brilliant? Uh, we always feel that way when, mm. a, when a test goes to the final ball of the final day, as today did, when James Anderson and Stuart Broad denied the spin of Stephen Smith. Who would have thought that mm. Steve Smith's leg spin would be a crucial, uh, a crucial factor in the final day here at Sydney? But so it goes when the light deteriorates to such an extent, when they're playing to quarter to seven or whatever it is inside the final hour but I don't think anyone cared because it was such an absorbing finish it had a day of individual brilliance from the start with Zach Crawley through to Pat Cummins with a double wicket maiden through to uh, tenacious batting from Jack Leach and stiff resistance from Stuart Broad something we haven't seen from him for quite a time and then Jimmy it's always Jimmy at the end it's been Jimmy at the end so many times in test cricket indeed it's been Jimmy at the end in losing efforts more than anybody in the history of test cricket batting to the death and being there as the other team were celebrating but not today because he was able to keep out Smith at the very end and England leave Sydney uh, with the scoreline still 3-0, but as Joe Root said to me when interviewing him after play, deeply relieved. Well, they can't get whitewashed. And I said this to people at the start, it's really hard to get whitewashers because it's really common that there'll be a draw somewhere along the way. And, and here it was, but my God, England had to fight for it. And, uh, and Australia will be... Look, they were very cheerful. They were very good-natured out there. They all big smiles, shook hands and everything. But I think they will also be pissed off. that This is two years in a row they've let a team get away yep. at the SCG in matches they should have won. They've had teams on the rack and they have not been able to finish it off. A lot of questions about that declaration. They lost seven overs to rain on the last day. That was predictable. Uh, they batted on too long maybe on day four even if they declared when Kawaja got his hundred there were two more overs put nine more overs in their pocket today and, and that would be that, probably a different result but, yep. but but Anderson at the end of it was hard not to want him to succeed given how many oh, times he, he's failed out there um, and he was very resolute he just had to face out the last over um, the last six balls and he got through it and, and, and got the job done and, and England takes something out of this series yeah look I, I wouldn't be losing any sleep if I were Pat Cummins over the declaration because we are genuinely talking about two overs and you couldn't have foresaw... I mean, yeah, there were, it was a potential case of losing time to rain, as has been the case throughout the Test match yesterday, as it happens with the worst forecast, was the only time, only day we didn't lose any time. I think all up it was cumulatively 50 or so overs. But, hmm. um, Plus but yeah, a lot of overs to slow over, right? So, yeah. So we lost 60 overs out of the match. A fair bit of that was the rain on day one, but there were yeah. probably 12 or 15, 16 overs due to over eights as well. Right. You're right. Okay. So it was effectively a four and a half or four and a third uh, day test match, which mm -hmm. I think's fine. And look, the declaration wasn't about England hauling it down. It was about Usman Khawaja. And look, he deserved to go on to make um, his second century yesterday. They were scoring at such a rate, it probably meant the declaration was earlier than they might have thought if they were batting conservatively. So it swings mm -hmm. and roundabouts. You can't um, overthink this too much. The main reason there was scrutiny on the declaration was that they wanted to play golf today. Um, those who were um, doing the game on television. 
situation. Make no mistake. That is the reason. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the cricket. It's to do with playing golf on day five. Um, so let's get beyond that quite quickly and, and celebrate today for what it actually was. Um, I actually want to start with Zach Crawley. Can we say, can we say good old-fashioned test cricket? Are oh, we allowed yeah, to we say can that? Yeah, we can say things like that. All yeah. the cliches. I rolled out a number of them in my post-match <laughs> TV stuff then. Um, because it's it's true to say it was good old-fashioned test cricket, mm. but it's also um, fair to say that I think Zach Crawley um, has probably, in the space of an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes this morning, mm. just provided the best possible reminder of why so many people, including like Ted Dexter, who when he was still alive wrote a letter to the editor saying, back this kid in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his first class numbers don't reflect it. God knows his his record in 2021 20, doesn't reflect it. But um, cricket is not played in spreadsheet columns. I know we focus a lot on numbers and we're quite guilty of that on this podcast from time to time, maybe more than we should. But with Crawley, if you, I suppose those with a high cricketing IQ uh, see something in him and, and the way he batted today, he was so good through mid-wicket, um, covering up the stumps, it works for him, doesn't work for everybody, doesn't work everywhere. Didn't work when he got out. Uh, well, batting on the off-stump line. Yeah, I mean, if he hadn't been batting on an off-stump line, he probably would have hit that ball. Uh, look, you can be pedantic if you want, but the reality is he gets a brilliant uh, brilliant Yorker from Cameron Green. Uh, I'm, I'm going to emphasise the positive of a guy who averaged 11 last year, coming out under the pump today after failing in the first dig and adding 77 off the top. Could have easily been an Ashes 100 for him, but I, I reckon there'll be plenty of those. Um, he's a young man still, and he's got time on his side. I really enjoyed watching him about today, the, the stand-up toll and the way he smokes that pull shot um, away through the leg side. And it's not always really short balls. They can sort of be length balls that he's he's got a good enough eye to, to pick off. Um, he was great fun to watch. You talked about Ted Dexter getting excited. Ian Chappell was getting excited watching him as good. well and you know, getting fired up and saying, you know, I really like the look of I like this. The, way this, the way this kid bats. And so all of that, and, and I think he brought some energy into the innings as well because if he'd come out and just tried to block and, and prod and, you know, poor old Haseeb Hamid battled for a while and then nicked one behind for nine. So he's made six single figure scores in a row. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, he, he may be set for another stint in the wilderness or as seems to be the curse for Ashes openers. England Ashes openers in Australia don't seem to have long careers after they're done. Michael Carberry, Mark Stoneman, um, you know, you'd hope that Hamid's not going to be dispensed with in that way, but you couldn't rule it out. Um, Crawley brought a bit of fun to it. He brought a bit of flair to it. And I think that helped. That helped Stokes and Bairstow coming in afterwards because they didn't bat super conservatively. No, they, not at all. They, they were defensive but they still played shots when the ball was there to play it. You know, Stokes still played slog sweeps. They still banged line down the ground. And it made it feel like it was a contest, not like it was a siege. And, yeah. and so it was a very different atmosphere in the second session. So when they were three down, Root gets out after lunch. Um, and we sort of glossed over just how well Scott Boland bowled. Yeah. He got Hamid first and then Root again. So he's got Joe Root out three times without Root scoring a run from him in a row. <laughs> Three times in a row. Yeah, of course, Melbourne second innings. Yeah. So extraordinary from Scott Boland. Uh, and, and, and Lyon ripped through Nathan Milan easily, bogged him down for three or four overs, and then just got the slider, the one that got Stokes in the first innings, to go through Milan and hit his stumps. Um, so, you know, when they were four down for not that many, it looked like they were in strife, but it was Stokes and Bairstow going, all right, let's take it back to them. Yeah, just to skip through a couple of those briefly. Uh, Hamid, I don't think he'll play next week. I feel for him because I, I felt like he... he <laughs> 
because he's obviously so down on confidence, he's second guessing everything that he's doing. Mm. And his beautiful, simple technique that we've become accustomed to in England, you know, and it's not a huge stretch of time. It was three quarters of a county season and we all watched him on the streams and saw the highlights packages and, and, and saw the numbers and the, the crease occupation and, and so on. And and it looks like he's got a game that's going to make it at the next level. But extra pace plus down on confidence plus a bit of bad luck. Although he did get a bit of good luck, good luck when Alex Carey shelled him on nine, but he was out on the same score. And, and so it goes. Milan, pretty good contest was emerging there with Lyon, but he looks exhausted. He did so much of the heavy lifting at Brisbane and Adelaide. Then uh, a failure in the second innings at Melbourne after getting a start in the first dig. Um, a double failure here. But um, as Bharat Sundarason observed on our, on our commentary, um, since that silly point has gone in for Milan, which was his downfall in the second innings at Brisbane, it seems to have gotten in his head. So he's mm. going back to balls he should be going forward to. And Bharat's been watching him in the nets. He's obsessed with the silly point. He's always right. got a cone there and he's always working on... You know, getting out of the danger zone there instead of, I suppose, uh, being as focused mm. on, on on getting to meet the ball and to nullify the spin, which yeah, his plan B is going deep in the crease. And to Lyons' credit, he didn't bowl that well today, but that was a lovely bit of bowling. Mm. The quicker ball, which hasn't always been part of Lyons' game. He's been up at 100Ks with the quicker ball today, rolling off the index finger and, and you know, bent back the off stump. So yeah, he kind of was... scrambles the seam on it some of the time, yeah, sort of undercuts yeah. it and zips it through. Yeah, and lastly, just on what you said about the Stokes and Bairstow union, and even Root before he got out, I reckon, look, even though the, the run chase was never on, contrary to some of the gibber on Twitter, it was never actually on. No. But they were batting in a way that had it been... They were batting in a way like they might have been chasing 280, not 380. Sure. And I reckon that helps from a mindset perspective. And look, there might have been a little bit of the fact that, that Stokes is clearly injured yeah. and, and swinging hard is his best form of staying out there for a long time until yeah. he edged one to to slip offline deep into the final session. But it wasn't indiscriminate swinging hard. It was no. picking his moments. You know, he came down the track a couple of times to hit line he played the sweep shot um, even Root played a nice hook shot off I can't remember which one of the quicks it was but you know took off Cummins, Cummins yeah, yeah sounds right took it on uh, so there were those moments but yeah it wasn't it wasn't sort of batting wounded and just just swinging from the hip and even the ball he got out to like you know, you see Ben Stokes get angry when he gets out sometimes, but um, it, it was it was almost like he wanted to leave it. He was thinking about leaving it on the line, and then he thought, oh, I've just got to play it. And he played the line, and it turned more than others, and he just followed it a bit. He just yeah. couldn't help himself and just nudged it, just nudged it into the hands of Slip. And he, he sort of pulls his back, back like this, like he's about to smash something, and then just stayed there for about 30 seconds going like, don't hit anything, <laughs> don't hit anything, don't hit anything, and then eventually calmed down and left the field but you know he couldn't believe that he'd given it away yeah yeah and and I suppose nor could I to an extent I thought at that point he was on for another heroic um, Ben Stokes moment uh, wounded you know, ashes 100 uh, uh, yeah that's right second innings 100 and, and so on but falling after of course Root did and, and that was a great piece of bowling from Boland to, to find Root's edge and, and it meant that England were going to have to do it with the lower order, which has been so vulnerable throughout the series. Enter Pat Cummins, second new ball. Took him a couple of overs to find his range. Stark wasn't bowling too well with it from the round weekend. Mm -hmm. But Cummins, who hadn't bowled the house down today... Um, Third over with it. I think he had none for 65 at 17 at that point. Um, two wickets in three balls, double wicket maiden. The first of those was an LB review. He started the over, I should say, with a glorious outswinger to Butler, an unplayable outswinger, a brute of a delivery that went sailing past the shoulder of the bat. That could have easily, you know, I suppose mm. Butler would have thought that might hit off stump given the length, but it really took off and careered from the seam. The 
fourth ball of the over was the surprise in-swinger. Uh, but, um, and the reason it was given not out, I think, is because Paul Rifle thought there was an inside edge when, when Butler had hit, the, hit his boot, and thus the sound. Well, it wasn't just the sound. It was that the bat twisted in his hand. So yes. he hit the instep of his front foot, and the bat face twists on impact just as the ball goes past it. And it looked for all the world like it had clipped the inside edge like that and into the pad. So not yep. out, fair enough. And I don't know how good Pat Cummins' eyes must be, but he reviewed it straight away. Like he somehow knew that it hadn't hit the edge and he went, yep, go upstairs. And it was nailing middle stuff. Yeah, like, incredible. I, I had the binoculars on it and I wasn't 22 yards away, but my instinct was that he's out. Mm. Um, and the other, the second one in the sequence, the Mark Wood LBW, was the quintessential sang- shoot crusher in mm-hmm. Jeff Thompson jargon from mm. 40 years ago. I mean, it literally hit Wood on, on full, top, on of, the top of the foot. I mean, I hope Wood's okay because mm. he was limping off the field as you would do after Well, that. he hit the deck. It hit him and he ended up flat yeah, on his face falling over trying to play it. And that was smashing middle stump. And there was the Cameron Green one to Zach Crawley that, that we didn't mention in detail where he, he just bowled this perfect sort of full-length Yorker that squeezed underneath the toe of the bat and somehow didn't touch any wood and again smashed into his foot. And he reviewed that hoping he'd got a bottom edge on it, yeah. got the toe on it, but he hadn't. And that was a, that was a, a three inches of the way up middle stump you're out red 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 review is green is green uh, nine wickets at 13 in the series something like that yeah. I, I interviewed him before play today and spoke to him about the prospect well, yeah. what, we, what we talked about last night actually him being the second seamer in Asia if required and he kind of says that his body is up to that the reason they are his um, body is a wonderland his body is a wonderland exactly thank you John um, but the, the reason he's not been bowling long spells is Pat's trying to look after him it's not mm. the doctors it's not right. the medical staff so if you've got yeah. a big Guy, I mean, he, he's nearly as tall as Joel Garner. Hmm. Um, that, that, that was reminiscent of Joel Garner from that height and dropping it down um, at the toes and, and it got underneath Crawley's bat. Hmm. Superb stuff. And, and also, then, can I point out, I think, so Australia now have four players with 10 wickets or, or more in the series right. and Green with nine. Uh, England's yeah. best is Robinson with nine. Yeah. <laughs> so that gives not, you a not that flattering. comparative sense of... Reminds me of 2013-14 really, doesn't it? With, with, you know, you kind of, you see all 100 wickets were secured for Australia yeah. and I think England ended up with like 60 or something like that. Yeah. and makes a big difference on the on the wicket tally. But yeah, that, that moment when they, they get three of the six they need in the final session. Imagine, look, imagine if Australia win it at Hobart. They will have taken 99 wickets in the series. They've got 99 oh, yeah. wickets, but Jimmy Anderson ain't one. <laughs> Good point. I think that was... Uh, I think they took about 90... They took 92 last 92 time. 92 last time because England yep. were able to... Draw go, in Melbourne. Draw in Melbourne, that's yep. it. Um, but... Um, yeah, that w- when we got beyond wood, so there was six wickets to take in the final session. Mm. Um, you know, when you look at it, all the historical examples, when's a team done it? I spent a fair bit of time talking about the Oval in 1968 and the 35 minutes that was I enough to, to take to take Australia out. And, you know, thinking about um, Australia-India here in 2008 when Michael Clark takes three wickets in five balls to complete the seven after tea on, on day five. And look, when they take those three in a hurry, you're thinking it's on, uh, you know, it is on. They've got three, uh, they've got 15 overs to go when the bell rang as it does with an hour to go, not literally, but figuratively. Uh, and then the squeeze, it, it changed. The squeeze started from England. They went, they managed to do the milk to strike thing pretty well. They picked their ends. They took their singles at the right time of the over. Um, the field, of course, all came in and they were mm-hmm. able to kind of dictate terms just a little bit, mm-hmm. just to give themselves enough breathing space that it would become the squeaky bum finish. They weren't going to get blown away with 14 overs to spare. Right. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. 
Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. And, and let's take a moment to, to look at Johnny Best. Uh, should have been run out from his fifth delivery. Yes, and, definitely. And so a diversion on the way to Johnny Best there might be that Alex Carey's had a horrible test match after having a mm. brilliant debut in Brisbane. Um, it, it's hard to talk about Carey because people get very defensive of him. But yes, he took eight catches in Brisbane on debut. Fantastic. They were all pretty regulation catches. He's got a real problem to his right-hand side. He's missed four in the last three tests when he's had to not even dive but lunge to his right. His right leg collapses and he just falls over at the ball he doesn't take off at the ball and he doesn't sidestep to the ball when he could so he's let a couple go through between him and first slip he's dived in front of first slip and dropped one um, and he dropped another so just sort of leaning away in in the second innings here and then he most importantly messed up that run out which if he'd got Bairstow at that point having faced five balls England were losing the test match no doubt Bairstow ends up facing 105 balls and really dug in for the second time so uh, I think Andy Zaltzman said he's never in a test match faced 100 balls in both innings and he did that here made his 113 in the first innings and and then batting through into that last hour when he was finally brought undone Scott Boland again of course, of course. who else would it be decking back off the seam inside edge and they put a silly mid off in and he took the catch uh, Manus Labuschagne under the lid took that catch and did you Bairstow see the little did you see the little byplay out there with the silly point and how that all came to pass um, it, it brought picked it up he's so perceptive with these things uh, Steve Smith told Pat Cummins Marnus is fielding there Okay. Steve Smith just said he took control of the situation yep. and said to, to, to seamers and to spinners yep. Marnus is fielding there and so Marnus stood and so the inside edge went from Johnny Bairstow so Steve Smith is there as vice captain to aid Cummins and to show his experience as a, a long term test player and a former captain and a, you know a, I suppose a, a veteran now a senior pro uh, and that's when that, that, that long term experience uh, really pays dividends as, as I don't know why but there's a siren blaring this, the this is there. when we've been talking too long on the podcast the alarm goes <laughs> off um, so you may just have to put up with that in the background what are we going to do uh, but just on Bairstow, sorry, just a full, full stop on that. Um, for the guy who had the worst record in Test cricket for three years cumulatively, for anyone that batted between one and seven, um, to start 2022 with a century and batting the way he did today, uh, you know, good on him. Like I'm so happy for Johnny Bairstow that he's been instrumental in England squaring this match or you know um, splitting the difference in this match. And you could see it with Joe Root. He's just chuffed for a guy he's been playing cricket with since they were nine years old. Uh, and today he really stepped up for his for his friend and his captain. I think that was pretty special. So Bairstow gone inside the last hour. They had, what, nine and a half overs to go at that point, I think? Yeah, that feels about right. He was out in over. He was out at 91.2 mm. is when he was out and they faced 102 overs. So okay. yeah, 11. Evan Ivers left right. a little bit. Uh, yep. So at that point, Jack Leach has to then become the senior pro. Yeah. Um, but Stuart Broad comes out, and I thought they played it really well because Australia had the field. Everyone was up. They had they had 
leg slip, leg gully, four slips, regulation gully, bat pad on either side. Uh, and so there was no one to stop runs. And so any time one of those two hit it anywhere, they took a run. And that was great. It meant, you know, the bowler's got to reset. You're bowling to a different player, different length, different height, uh, all the rest of it. Both of them left-handers, but still, it just meant changing things up. Whereas yeah. I think if they'd tried to just sort of play out an end each, it probably would have ended in tears. Um, so they did that really cleverly, uh, ended up scoring quite a few runs. Not that it mattered, but it you know helped give them some sort of sense of momentum. And then this is where I thought Cummins made a real mistake. So with about six overs to go, he brought Nathan Lyon on. Now Scott Boland had been bowling beautifully. He'd got Bairstow out. He looked deadly every ball that he bowled. Nathan Lyon bowls a couple of overs. And then when they get to within the last three overs, the umpires say it's too dark, you have to bowl spin. He, he could have squeezed two more overs out of Scott Boland before mm. they were told no more pace and then bowled Lyon at that point. But instead, he'd, he'd taken off one of you know what I thought was the most dangerous attacking option in Boland um, and you know had Boland and himself bowling at the same time until they had to bowl spin not that he necessarily knew that that was going to happen but it was getting darker the umpires were consulting Stuart Broad was doing pantomime looking up at the sky and you could have read the game <laughs> and said there'll be a bad light intervention at some point yeah, soon yeah. so I thought that was a, a blunder um, and just given how dangerous everyone looked and they, they got through Lyon pretty easily I thought if Lyon's got 10 overs to bowl at them they'll get out to him but if he's got 2 overs to bowl at him they can find a way to get through that and, and so it turned out yeah it's a tough one it's like what I said before about the declaration at that exact moment you think he's probably thinking throw the ball to lie my most experienced bowler mm. that, that's probably the thought process Boland's playing his second test and for all of his brilliance uh, across two weeks at Melbourne and Sydney Nathan Lyon is the guy with 400 plus wickets and you just want that guy to have the ball at yeah. the end and you know he picked up Ben Stokes and you know you, you kind of sense that that's why it happened but you're right had he had his time again I'm sure he would have done as you say and, and stuck with pace until it wasn't permitted mm. so uh, so they look they made it through into the this there was two overs to go and Steve Smith had to come on um, to given the, the light conditions um, and he gets the edge off Jack Leach that took a little ricochet off Carey which yes. was interesting didn't glove that one either um, and ended up with Warner taking it at first slip with wearing the two hats with the sunglasses and all the hats fell off his head and I was like wickets fall at the drop of a hat around here um, but he I didn't I just said that to myself in my head but um, it, it, that may not have quite landed on radio <laughs> no no I did, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad I did, I'm glad I wasn't <laughs> on air at that point to do that but because I probably would have done it anyway but look it, the way they all went wild Smith's first wicket in five years in test cricket um, not the it, first time he's taken a big wicket no. in the fourth innings on the fifth day mm. Do you remember Faf Duplessis, oh, Cape Town 2014, yeah, when yeah. it looked like Faf was going to steer South Africa home? Everyone mm -hmm. remembers Ryan Harris. People don't tend to remember Stephen Peter Devereux Did Smith. you know he started out as a leg spinner? <laughs> it's a crazy story, this. Let me walk how you through it the, How about him getting the Guernsey ahead of uh, Marnus? Yeah, he didn't bowl that well, Marnus, when no, he was he used. But um, it's interesting that I suppose if you were if you're wargaming that, mm. Labuschagne, given that he's taken an important wicket late yeah, on day yeah. five too in, um, at Manchester a couple True. of years ago. Um, but he did bowl poorly and, and Smith's more of, he gives it a rip and he throws it up and they had left-handers with rough and True. I thought it was Smith bombs it into that rough and he's more likely to get, get it to jump. Uh, so that, you know, Stuart Broad then has one over to face and he blocks it out and he can't get a single and can't keep the strike and Anderson's got a have strike and he's just come out and you're thinking, oh, it's going to happen again, isn't it? It's going to happen again. It's going to be 2014, it's second be last Jimmy, ball or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. head on the bat handle on his haunches um, but he faced out the over from Lyon and, and, and just stepped across and stabbed everything into the ground and got through it without incident really. He did. I mean that last over was innocuous um, and because I think 
Anderson just played it in such a serene way. He was taking about 10 paces to backward square uh, after each ball. Not that time was a factor at that stage, but just taking a moment to take stock, then face up again, uh, you know, do what do what works for you. I, I did wonder whether we'd see the reverse sweep. Um, he, Please, he passed... Shoulda. He passed Morley for all-time career runs with the reverse sweep on day three, and he's only 13... Sorry, make that 15 runs away from overtaking Morley as the most productive number 11 in the history of Test cricket. And I thought, wow. how exciting would that be if he just went bang, 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 yeah. um, thanks for coming. No, but yeah, the way he got through that, um, he, he obviously was the last man to fall at Leeds in 2014 against Sri Lanka in, in what became England's like first series loss at home for... A long time, or you know, there was some. There was a big. There was a reason why so that was first quite ever series loss to Sri Lanka in England. Right, and and he, uh, that was as we um, as we all would have seen at the time. He was literally bawling his eyes out in tears mm. on the ground at Headingley. So um, you know, uh, redemption arcs are more your more your thing, given you've written a book about it. But um, <laughs> that did feel like a, a coming a full circle of sorts, given that he, he had to be the man to to see out that final over. And as we mentioned off the top, how many times has he been the final wicket on day five? or up the other end and not out two as the, as the other team are... Uh, 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 Celebrating uh, around. Gaffouring yeah. and running around and all yeah. the rest of it. There'd and be a whole archive of photos of Jimmy standing there looking sad while 11 players celebrate yes. around him. It is quite a lonely experience, but he was the one, and especially with Stuart Broad, you know, 151 tests for Broad, 169 for Anderson, the second nice. most ever. Um, yeah, it felt, even though, you know, who knows how much longer their, their test careers will run, but they'll they'll have that, that special moment on their final tour of Australia. Will always have Sydney. The final word, Hall of Fame, where we pick the most final word moment of the day. Uh, what are your nominations, Adam? Okay, I spent the whole day uh, thinking about Father Marriott. Charles Marriott played one test match for England uh, in 1933 against the West Indies, picked up 11 wickets and had a bowling average of 8.72 and never played again. He was 37 years of age. We've told this story on Storytime, but he was gassed at the Somme. Uh, he didn't play first-class cricket till after the war. He barely played because he was too busy teaching uh, at Dulwich College and finally at 37 uh, they called him up to play that one-off test match in the place of Headley Verity. Since then until now he has always been uh, for players with more than 10 wickets the leading bowling average right. uh, and at the moment it is no longer him it is Scott Boland with 8.66 or 64 and a couple t- couple of times today Boland went the other way of Marriott right and each, each before each of his uh, two wickets three wickets three wickets before each of them his average went just above 8.72 and mm-hmm. upon taking each of them his average went back below it again so they're having a bit of a, a cat and mouse at the moment so for, for Scott Boland leading me take mm-hmm. that storyline to Bell Reeve Oval next week I thank you what a what a what a, what a spell he, he got Hamid he got Root and he got Bairstow um, and I think uh, I think Zoltzman said he averages seven against right-handers at the moment <laughs> and 17 against lefties or something. So a bit of a weakness against the left-handers. Um, and he's, what, what's he taken? Something like 13 for 70 in his last three innings. Um, he's having a good time, Scott Boland. My nomination for Hall of Fame is during the last over when... Every delivery, I think, each of the six deliveries after James Anderson calmly blocked it, Stuart Broad tried to come down and have a conversation with him <laughs> and Anderson said, piss off. <laughs> Just sent him back. Nah, not coming. Not walking down to the middle. Don't need to bump gloves. Don't need a chat. Don't need encouragement. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing or what, at least what I'm trying to do. Yeah, or I do not want to be distracted by Stuart Broad <laughs> by you. when I'm trying to do what I'm doing because whatever Stuart Broad can add to this, it will not help. Uh, I liked it. It was, it was the, the work of a senior pro and it was very funny. Uh, on the other side of that, I quite like that Usman Khawaja, who I would listen to, went up to Steve Smith halfway through the over. 
Who knows what he said? Mm. But, uh, you know, that, that's that leadership thing that we talk about with Kawaja a lot and um, knowing when the right time to intervene. Um, also, I want to pop in the Hall of Fame or the anti-Hall of Fame, um, Marnus, for trying to get Pat to review something where the ball missed by an entire bat width or maybe more. Oh, I think. And then, this and then contributing to the conversation which saw them review against Leach, I think it yeah, was later a, on. with a supposed edge behind that wasn't. And, and look, uh, again. And he goes, I heard a sound. I heard, I a, heard a sound. sound. I heard a sound. I heard a sound. And Cummins said, was it a good sound? And he said, yeah, it was a good sound. Yeah, I, I, mean, I put this on Twitter. I mean, the reality is, is that Pat should never allow Manus to be part no. of those conversations. Ever. No, the be fact banned. that people were saying like a year ago when they lost to India, maybe Manus Labashain is the next test captain of Australia. Australia. Mm. Never, ever, ever. Mm. Unless something radically changes in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, ever. Best batsman in the world? Well, near enough. Ranked number one. Let him do that. Let him never, ever be part of the conversation (laughs) around DRS or anything (laughs) remotely like it. Uh, Yes, I think Pat Cummins has had a good match with DRS. A good good time as captain with DRS aside from that. Uh, Anything else? I've got more. I've got Pat Cummins wearing a helmet. How often do you see a fast bowler wearing a helmet? That was great. The fact that he wore it out to point as well when he was in the outfield, I say the outfield, probably on the the one day circle ring, but still uh, uh, wearing that. Um, The Scott Boland... play around with the crowd when he's running fine leg to fine leg and kept misfielding. Now, for a man who's been perfect in test cricket, he, he wasn't perfect on that measure. Oh, look, and there was a seven in the test match at, at Christchurch today. There was. There have been four eights in test cricket, if you're curious. I looked yeah, it up today. Okay, there have been six sevens in test cricket. And Chris Rogers is the last one I remember in 2015. It was here, right? I thought it was at uh, the Oval, but I can't oh, who knows. Um, he did it anyway. Anyway, yeah, this one was, was dropped at third slip. Oh. Uh, the, the one in the Bangladesh oh, yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dropped at third slip, went down to the fence, and then got thrown back and missed uh, the keeper and the bowler and went for four overthrows. So it should have been a wicket and was instead seven runs. Poor old Eberdot Hussain, who took <laughs> all the wickets in the first test, didn't go so well this time there. They were one for 350 or something, New uh, Zealand. After Eberdot had yeah. uh, had Latham, Latham, I think it was Latham, might have been young, out twice in and over, both overturned by DRS. Yeah, it was young who edged to slip as well. So, uh, Last bit here is that at one stage today, Zach Crawley had 77 of the 91 runs on the scoreboard. Yes, we got all of your tweets about Bannerman. Yes, he was on 84.6% at the yeah. time, but I You didn't, can't go too early on Yeah, I, I didn't Two get Two or three wickets down. You can't, it's not... Someone will always mess it up. You've got to be like five, six, seven down before we can start talking Bannerman seriously. Five, six, seven, eight. eight. My boot scooting baby is driving me crazy. Yeah. My obsession for the Western... <laughs> Dance all Dance day. Dance all day. Yeah. yeah, whatever it is. Anyway, that's it, I reckon. I think that's enough. Yeah. I think that's yeah, enough. I think if we're talking about steps and it's mm. half an hour into the show, yeah. it's time we say goodbye. We should, if, at that point, we should be talking about 12 steps. <laughs> um, <laughs> this has been the final word. Ashes Daily, thank you for listening or watching, being part of what we're doing. And we'll be doing stuff this week. We'll have a daily show dropping on, no, make that a, a weekly, weekly show, show, dropping on about Tuesday. We'll have a story time going out about Saturday during the next test match. And of course, we'll both be at Hobart, Making the Ashes Daily. If you like what we do, uh, you can follow us in all the usual places. Mm-hmm. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash the final word if you want to contribute to what we do financially. That would be very kind. Uh, we're going to be everywhere uh, through the next couple of months. Jeff will be at the Women's Ashes. I'll be back in England soon enough. And, and so it goes. Uh, but we're very fortunate and privileged to have been here at the Sydney Cricket Ground uh, at a test match that finished on the final ball. Had a number of individual brilliant performances. Uh, and that is, uh, that is enough of that. that- so is uh, enough of that. Final word, God, Adam Collins, fun. Jeff Lemon. Catch you later. That was fun. That was so much fun. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail. Had to fail. 
that's it for this test match. Thank you from Jeff, from Adam and from me for staying with us all five days. And we will see you back here next Friday, January the 14th for the final test match of this Ashes series that's coming to us from Hobart, Tasmania. If you liked the episode, do leave us a rating or review to help other people find it. And this episode was produced by Sophia Tarek, and The Final Word is produced by Bad Producer Productions and edited by James Hurley. The executive producers are Melanie Tate and Miles Martinoni.